This podcast is brought to you by the Toronto School of Management's NCA exam prep program. The TSM NCA prep program offers internationally trained lawyers courses taught by practicing lawyers in Canada, expertly designed study guides, exclusive networking opportunities with top Canadian law firms, and employability sessions, arming you with all the tools you need in order to hit the ground running in your pursuit to practicing law in Canada. To find out more about the program, you can email ncaprep at torontosom.ca. Shot of Life, a podcast aimed at highlighting the personal journeys of professionals and entrepreneurs in Canada, taking a snapshot of the person behind the professional title. I'm your host, Anton Haswell, and this is episode 11 of our National Committee on Accreditation Journey series. My 11th guest is Deborah Wolf. Deborah is the Executive Director of the National Committee on Accreditation and Law Schools Programs with the Federation of Law Societies of Canada. The NCA assesses the qualifications of individuals with legal education and professional experience obtained outside of Canada or in a Canadian civil law program who wish to be admitted to a common law bar in Canada. Ms. Wolf also leads the process to approve Canadian common law law school programs. Ms. Wolf is the past chair of the Association of Accrediting Agencies of Canada a former president of the Canadian Engineering Memorial Foundation, a charity that encourages girls to become engineers, and a former chair of the Canadian Network of Agencies for Regulation. Ms. Wolf was previously with the Engineers Canada, where she was responsible for the accreditation of undergraduate engineering programs in Canada and Engineers Canada's research and foreign credential evaluation programs. Ms. Wolf is a civil engineer licensed in the province of Ontario and is a former military engineer, having served with the Canadian Armed Forces. Hi, Deborah. Hi. Hi, yeah, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be on the podcast today. It's really exciting. Yeah, thanks very much for inviting me. I've had 10 of these podcasts so far, and I've managed to interview internationally trained lawyers at various stages of their accreditation journey, some just starting, some in their in the midst of their NCA exams, and then some really great success stories from all over the world. Um, and Deborah, you're, you're a bit of a unique guest in that, I, I mean, the first very interesting thing that I'm not sure many people know is that you're not a lawyer. In fact, you're a trained engineer. And I was wondering if you could fill me in a little bit about your background and, and how you became sort of head or executive director of the, the National Committee on Accreditation. Yeah, um, it's, an, it's a bit of an interesting story. I do want to say first, though, I've, I've listened to several of your podcasts, and it's really interesting to hear the perspective from, um, from the students, whether they're through the process or, or not yet through the process. It, it's, it's very helpful for, for mm-hmm. me to understand what, to, uh, what they're going through. And I mean, we hear from people all the time, but it's, it's been nice to listen to the podcasts as well. Great. So, my, my journey is a, is a little bit of an interesting one. Um, I got the idea when I was in high school that I wanted to fly jets for the Air Force, the, for the Canadian mm-hmm. Air Force. Um, was inspired by a few of the movies that came out in the late 70s, or early 80s. Um, and from there, it kind of, it, it took a circuitous route um, to the recruiting station at a plowing match. If There's pr- probably very few of your listeners that will know what a plowing match is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up joining the military as a as a as a military engineer combat engineer construction engineer and taking engineering at the university of western ontario now western university mm-hmm. um and i stayed with the military for quite a few years um 11 years in total uh going uh several provinces around the world and then when we got when i got to ottawa um my i ended up taking a job with engineers canada which is the national body of the regulators for engineering in the provinces and territories i built an expertise in foreign credential evaluation through my work with Engineers Canada, as well as accreditation of programs and some other areas. And so about 15 years later, um, I got a call from a headhunter um, talking about the program um, that we know as NCA Mm -hmm. uh, and was asked to apply to that. And I said, you know, I'm not a lawyer, I'm an engineer. (laughs) Um, 
And they said, yeah, but we keep hearing your name over and over again as, as running these types of programs, come on in and have a conversation. So there I was, um, you know, an, an engineer in front of five lawyers um, being interviewed for the position and, and I ended up getting it. And it was interesting both on their part and on my part to, you know, would I take a job? that's outside of my profession? Would I take a job that where, um, you know, I would be dealing with individuals from another profession and from, particularly with them being from law. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's easier not to go into a health profession to stay in the, what we would say the non-health professions. Um, but engineers aren't known for their, you know, you don't go into engineering because you have strong communication skills. <laughs> right. um, whereas many lawyers, you know, that's their, that's their forte. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the enthusiastic advocates for their, for their position. Um, and so I ended up taking the job because it sounded like a great, um, what I thought would be a fairly short uh, tenure and, uh, you know, turn some things around, bring in some processes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and <laughs> now, um, <laughs> 11 years later, I'm still there. Here and, you are, yeah. And, yeah, so I don't regret it at all. Um, it's been an amazing learning experience. My opinion of the legal profession um, has lawyers and individually and and the legal profession in general has gone up immensely. Um, You know, all the jokes that when I, when I announced I was leaving engineers, Canada, every engineer in the country decided that they should email me their lawyer jokes. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I have lots of those in my back pocket, but I never use them because most of them aren't accurate. Right. Right, So it's, it's been a really interesting um, route here and I'm, and I'm really enjoying the work and and all of the different people who I get to meet. Yeah. I can only imagine. (laughs) So I guess um, also just, maybe shed a, a little bit of insights as to what it means to work in the NCA office. Like how many people do you have um, working with you on kind of a daily basis? So the NCA, we aren't our own operation. While I have my own budget and my own staff, we're mm-hmm. part of the Federation of Law Societies of Canada. So the national regulatory, mm-hmm. uh, the national coordinating body for the regulators. Um, I have, well, between six and eight, I mean, it depends how you count and temps and, um, you know, access to accounting personnel, but around eight people. So we're a tiny office compared to the number of NCA applicants who are out there. And um, we're within a small office. There's about 25 people in total at the Federation. Um, And yeah, so that's the the size of the office. We're located in Ottawa. um, And at the current time, almost everybody is working remotely. because of the pandemic. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I think, I think it's always worthwhile for, for people to sort of take a step back and realize that like there's not an army of people (laughs) managing um, the NCA or even the Federation of Law Societies. It's just, you know, it's, it's a relatively small collection of really talented people, obviously, but um, you know, because, you know, some people who I've spoken to complain about delays and, you know, people should, there should be more prompt and things like that. I do always think in the back of my mind, well, you know, it's not a huge office, right? So things, of course, things take time. That's right. Yeah. And we could, we can always do better. Um, mm-hmm. But, but it is challenging with that number of people. And, and the last, what is it, seven months, six months, 12 mm. years, who knows how much the last, you know, the pen since the pandemic started have been immensely challenging and mm. with a small staff um, and dealing with the backlogs that we've been dealing with. Um, and dealing with the individuals who are rightfully and understandably concerned about their files and the process, mm-hmm. it's been really difficult mm-hmm. um, to maintain the level of communications that we would like with our applicants. Right. Yeah, of course, I can imagine. And, and sort of on that note, um, getting into a little bit of um, the meat of some of the questions that I had prepared, I think the best way to start um, is for you to briefly sort of walk me through what a candidate needs to do or needs to get um, in order to apply for assessment from the NCA. Right. So you've already, you know, in your in your podcast, you've talked to people who are, have immigrated to Canada and those Canadians who've gone overseas. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a little bit different for the two categories. And I do want to say that our student body is incredibly diverse. Mm-hmm. You know, we're probably talking about 22-year-old Canadians up to um, new Canadians who, well, or people who are thinking about immigrating to Canada who may be in their 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've got people who are very adept technologically and people who maybe struggle in that area. And they're from all over the world and they speak all sorts of different languages. Mm-hmm. Um, but but predominantly, the NCA process is an assessment of academic credentials. And the bottom line is you have to have a law degree that would qualify you to enter the profession in the jurisdiction where you obtained that degree. Mm-hmm. So it might be an LLB, it might be a JD, it might be a BCL, it might be a diploma. Um, there's all sorts of different names it could be, but 
Um, but that's the bottom line. That's what needs, someone needs to have. They don't need to be licensed or called to the bar in the jurisdiction where they were educated. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't care where they live. We don't care what their nationality is. We don't care what their immigration status is. Um, th- all they need is to have that first law degree. That's it. That's exactly right. Sometimes people can go online and Google and get input from maybe five to 10 different people with five to 10 different answers. But it is good to know that really, it boils down to, do you have a law degree, right? Like that's step one. Um, And then, you know, obviously submitting your transcripts or asking your institution to submit transcripts and things like that. Uh, That's, that's good to know. I think good to get straight for everybody. And I mean, we spoke about how many people are in your office, you know, six to eight people working on the NCA side of things. And I think it would be good to kind of pair that information with wondering whether or not you have any data on how many internationally trained lawyers apply to be assessed by the NCA, let's say annually or last year? Yeah. So I think I mentioned earlier that I've been in this, um, been with the NCA uh, about about 10 or 11 years. So I started in 2009. Mm -hmm. Our our year is July 1st to June 30th. And Mm -hmm. in that year, um, in 2009, 2010, we, we assessed uh, we received 750 applications, and that was a 50% increase from the year before. This last year, so 2019-2020, so ending on June 30th, we had just under uh, 2,900 applications. And we would likely have been in the 3,000, 3,200, 3,300 number had the pandemic not hit. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about... Um, what's that 450% increase over that 10 or 11 years. Mm -hmm. Now, some of it, it's been interesting to watch the increase um, in applications because there've been some really abrupt increases. And then there've been some periods where it's been about flat or, you know, minus two, Mm -hmm. which essentially is flat. And then, but the last three years, we again have been in a, in a very much in an upward swing, 11%, 28%, 19% increases over the last three years. What's interesting about this last upswing is that instead of coming from England, US and Australia, which is where most of the Canadians go, Mm. it's been from India and Nigeria, which is, uh, which are are two countries where very few Canadians are going to take their law degree in those countries. Mm -hmm. Um, In India, for for sure, we're seeing a handful every year, but almost nobody going to to Nigeria. So, but our, but what that means is that our, um, uh, that the top five has changed. It's always the same top five. England, mm. US, Australia, India, Nigeria. It's just that the order is different right now. Right. It's England, India, Nigeria, uh, Australia, and US. And I don't remember whether Australia and US, which order they're in. But that's that's where we get the most people from at this point. Hmm. Yeah, well, I think that's really that's really enlightening. I know like Australia, um, UK, and, and to some degree, I suppose the US, a lot of that is or are Canadians going abroad um, to get their law degree and then come back to Canada, whereas, that's right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes they bring a, a partner or a, you know, a, a love interest when they come back. Right. Um, yep. So, so there are people, there are people immigrating from those countries as well, but you know, what's interesting about that number, I give you the five and then there's another, uh, so they, they, and they're all over well over a hundred um, application uh, applications from each of those countries. Then there's another 10 or so countries where we get between, let's say 50 and 100 applications. And it might be China or mm. Scotland and those countries. But mm. then there's another, and this has been consistent over the last two years, 81 jurisdictions. Wow. And so, <laughs> so just think about that. You know, we're talking about applications and I, I would never talk about, you know, this, it's an Indian or, or, you know, somebody from France, like they're French, because we, we know that people go to school and it doesn't their their ethnicity or their nationality and their and where they get their education is not the same. So I, mean, I tried to be very careful in saying that's where they got their education. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about that is is you know if I look at what my values and goals are for the NCA: consistency, objectivity, transparency, fairness, and customer service. Mm-hmm. Um, the consistency is really important. Consistency is so easy when we're looking at England, India, Nigeria, United States, and Australia because we know how to assess people who are coming out of those countries, who have degrees from those countries. But when we're talking about 81 other jurisdictions, um, you know, you might get three people from Cameroon in a year. We might get one person from Suriname, you know, like, right. so, so, so in that case, when we're talking about the consistency and the objectivity, we're having to do research on those files or go back and take a look. And, and we have the access to these in our offices. Okay. Well, when was the last person, when was the last time that we assessed someone from, um, uh, Cote d'Ivoire and, hmm. and go back and look in the files to see when that was. And then, and how did we deal with it then? And what, how do we deal with that same person now? Mm. Just another one of those 
the things that I, I would never really think about. But of course, I mean, if you have people coming from upwards of 81 different jurisdictions around the world, <laughs> that's that's a lot of assessment that you have to go through and you have to kind of go back into the records to see uh, how did we re- assess that that case and, and kind of um, do the same for the, ne- for the next applicant. So really interesting. And I guess after the assessments, when, once those assessments are made, um, individuals are given an email uh, with a list of, uh, let's just go with the simplest case, with a list of exams that they need to complete in order to receive a certificate of qualification. Um, minimum of five and the maximum can be upwards, you know, can be, you know, enter into the teens in some respects. How would you assess just, just based on, you know, you've been there for 11 years, how would you assess the effectiveness of the NCA testing? Has there been changes to it? Um, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Hmm. Um, interesting question. There's, and just to go back to the first part of that, there are three kind of categories of assessment. The one mm-hmm. would be, as you, as you mentioned, we don't assign exams, we assign subjects. Mm-hmm, and then right. we give people the choice of whether they complete them through the NCA exam system or through NCA approved courses at law school, typically at a Canadian law school, but it could be another common law law school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there would be people who we send back to, to, to law school and say, you need to complete in-class studies. Um, and I think we'll be talking about that more. Um, and then we, there are the people who, who we say, I'm sorry, but your qualifications just are not close enough to ours. You have to start over mm. or you have to get a credential in law, um, a new credential in law before we can, before we can go further with your file. Mm. How has it changed over the years? I, I was lucky that I started in March of 2009 and, and throughout 2008, um, the committee had been looking at their policies and had brought in um, a new set of policies that regularized or standardized the way the assessments were done as compared to what was being offered at the time at Canadian law schools in and so the the where we end up now with the five mandatory it started in those days mm. it wasn't it, it's grown over the last 11 years and in, and in fact um in the era, the time frame of 2009 to say 2011, um, a document called the National Requirement for Canadian um, Common Law Law Schools was brought into place. Mm-hmm. And that applies both to the process to approve common law programs in Canada and to the NCA, so that we can assure that the two systems of entering a licensing or call to the bar process or bar admissions process in a province or territory in Canada outside of Quebec, mm-hmm. um, that the two ways of getting there is, are equivalent. Um, so the same national requirement applies to the NCA, as does, uh, you know, University of Toronto, University of Alberta, uh, Moncton, wherever it might be in Canada that offers a common law program. Mm-hmm. Um, with the incoming of the national requirement, we've brought in a lot more of that I mentioned earlier consistency. So it's not just consistency between applications, but it's also consistency in assessments. Mm-hmm. So if you were to look at 10 people who took their degrees in England or Nigeria or wherever, um, they should the assessments should look similar. They'll never look the same because people are, people are individuals Mm -hmm. and they may, you know, someone may have had um, a different path to go into law school. Somebody else may have gone away from law after they graduated. Somebody else might've had some academic uh, performance issues that we need to uh, remedy during the assessment process. Getting to the last part of your question, which is how do we think that um, NCA students or or certificate holders, because that's Mm -hmm. the end of the process, how well they're prepared. We know that they struggle um, to a greater extent than Canadian graduates would in the licensing process or bar admissions process. I think that we would all, if we were to step back and say, oh yeah, that we can understand why that would happen Mm -hmm. because they are coming from a different school, from a a different system. So you can think about, um, uh, let's say you took contracts. You took contracts in, um, let's say New Zealand, Mm -hmm. and then you came to Canada and we didn't assign you contracts because you took it in a common law jurisdiction. Um, but it might be a little bit different and maybe the way it was taught was a little bit different. Um, and you learned it in the context of the constitution and the laws of that country. And then you're coming into bar admissions and then into practice and you have to adjust. Now we are confident in the ability of people to adjust, Mm. but there is some of that work that needs to be done. Um, in 2017, we came out with a program review of the NCA and that's Mm -hmm. on our website. And it talks about 28, it, it, it provides 28 recommendations in seven areas of how the NCA can improve, improve what they're doing to help people who earn their certificate to be better prepared for success in bar admissions and in practice. Mm-hmm. So those are things like um, they might be governance for the, the committee or the, the office that I run. 
Um, they might be in how we offer exams. Um, it might be in how we approach the assessment. So we're working through that process mm -hmm. um, and we're working to provide better communications. I don't know if you've seen Anton, but we do have a new website. Yeah, I, yeah. Say, I say new, it's about a year old. Um, <laughs> we get really good feedback on it. And, and, you know, people, you talked earlier about someone talking to 10 other people to find out what the story would be. I would say, don't talk to 10 other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please go to our website because um, you know, if someone went through the process in 2012, their experience will be dramatically different than what your experience will be today. Yeah, no, I think I, I just, um, just this morning, like, you know, I'm, I'm a member of some of the Facebook groups and in some respects, they're really good. In other respects, they can be um, pretty bad. It depends because um, somebody was asking about English, English language requirements and there were a few competing responses. So then I just went on the NCA website under the FAQ section and copy and pasted um, the policy. Yeah. So I think <clears throat> always look at the, the NCA website, look to try to find your, the answer to a question in the policy or, or just in one of the FAQ sections. I think I would agree with that. Um, try yeah, to, and, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we get, um, we'll get an email or a phone call saying the Facebook group that I'm in says X, Y, Z. And I'm always, I'm always happy when people call to ask uh -huh. because please get the information from the source. Definitely. So you said you're working through um, some of the the suggested ways of to improve the NCA that was um, published in the 2017 report. Um, are you able to speak about any of those at this point, or are you just working through them at this point? Well, there's operational recommendations, and then there are um, policy-based uh, recommendations. And so some of them were, if they were related to governance, they're all done. Um, uh, and, and, and not that they're not that we would forget about them. Of course, I go back, you know, maybe quarterly and take a look through the recommendations and see, okay, have we done anything here? Do I need to move anything forward there? Mm -hmm. One of the, the changes of course, um, is around, um, the, er, several were for policy. We're looking at assessment based or, or competency based assessment. Um, mm -hmm. so we're, we're going to be undertaking some more, uh, work in that area, looking at what are the competencies that are required to enter law, to mm -hmm. graduate from law, which would also be to enter the NCA process. Um, what do you need to enter bar admissions? And then we're going to be trying to revise the process um, to better reflect the competencies required at each of those stages. Mm -hmm. Now, it will never go 100% away from written exams. Mm -hmm. um, but I would expect, I would, I would say to people who are applying in the next, say, five years, that they should expect to have some changes in the way that the that way that they'll demonstrate their competency. And for those people who've been watching our website or who have been involved in this, one of the things that we've done is we've worked with CPLED. CPLED is um, is the the bar admissions process for Alberta, mm -hmm. Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Nova Scotia, and and it's sort of a it's not it's not it's neither bar school nor bar exam. So it's it's neither the BC Manit uh, Newfoundland process nor the Ontario bar exam process. It's it's a, an online, um, long-term uh, task-based uh, process, mm -hmm. and they're experts in online learning. Mm -hmm. And so we've worked with them to pilot a legal research and writing module that we will, at some point, be bringing in as a mandatory component with the NCAs, but that's probably going to be in a few years. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're offering it as an option. And we ran through 20, the mid 20 number of people in the February, March timeframe um, as a pilot. And we've revised the program and we've got another cohort going through right now um, through this legal research and writing uh, module. The Great. goal of that is to help people understand what level of um, legal research and writing they need and, and to bring it into the Canadian context. Mm. Um, Research in different countries may be carried out differently. Obviously, you would use different tools. So um, are you familiar with Canly? Do you, you know, mm -hmm. have you used Canly before? Here's how you would use it. Now, let's write a memo. Okay, well, a memo in England is a bit different than a memo in Canada. Um, you know, let's, let's go through all of these pieces. What's really, what I really like about this uh, module that we've worked with CPLED is that for those students who take it, mm -hmm. um, and right now, as I said, it's optional, and we'll be running you know, a number of cohorts a year through this process, and, and they will have to pay for it separately from the NCA. Mm -hmm. But if they then go into a CPLED jurisdiction, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Nova Scotia, they're exempt from that module when they get into their bar admissions process. Mm, I see. Um, 
and 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 their benefit they would benefit in in their writing skills that will benefit them as they go through the NCA exams. Right. Yes, of course. And it's funny you mentioned CPLED. I just received uh, an email today confirming an interview with uh, Dr. Mitchell Moore. So, um, we, yeah, we'll be I'll be speaking to her, and that's it's a pretty good um, timely thing then uh, because I, I I did sort of see what they were doing. And I was very interested to find find out what kind of work they're doing with internationally trained lawyers and perhaps the NCA. And so there you go. <laughs> There's yeah. my first line of questions. That's, that's, that's right. great. And, and she's amazing. And she and I have um, collaborated in a number of areas. And, and um, you know, we help each other out with the various things. I imagine we're going to talk about online exams, but that's one mm-hmm. area where she and I have had a, lo- a number of conversations mm-hmm. um, to learn from each other as to what we're doing. That's right. Um Excellent segue. Um, obviously, we we mentioned you mentioned off the top whether it's been five months, six months, or twelve years since things uh, almost it seems like forever changed with COVID happening. Um, you know, every every industry, business in Canada has been affected, and obviously the NCA is no different. I mean, as it was prior to COVID, um, there were international testing centers, multiple testing centers in Canada where people would go to physically and write a paper exam. Um, that's changed now, obviously, with social distancing guidelines around the world. Um, obviously, I mean, everybody who listens to this podcast will know that there were some logistical issues with the August exams. I mean, that was your first go um, with everything. So I'm wondering how you think the transition's gone. Um, the NCA, um, you know, obviously transitioning from in-person to online exams and how you think it's going to go in the, in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, the um, you know the pandemic has had such a profound impact on all of us, mm-hmm. and I I, I want to I think start by saying that there's we cannot underestimate the impact on the mental health of the NCA applicants mm-hmm. and the NCA staff. Um, the challenges of working remotely, the challenges of um, not having access to your colleagues, your maybe your your um, your friends as you go through the NCA process. And sure, we can use Zoom and we can use the phone, but nothing replaces the ability mm-hmm. to to have that face to face. And in our case, um, you know, we we were located in the province of Ontario, so we shut down in mid March, um, and that meant no mail being open, no couriers being received. Um, it was a dramatic change and 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 sending people home. Um, and I had the difficult task of laying off a couple of people who are very much uh, work with, on the files. Now, mm. unfortunately, with the opening up of Ontario, we are we have opened up again. But there were things that we just had to stop doing. And we made the very difficult decision at the end of March to just say we cannot have the May exams. Just mm. we cannot. Yeah. We can't do it anywhere in the world. And of course, people were justifiably and rightfully upset about this, as were we. Mm-hmm. Um, that we couldn't continue to move people through the process. But we also knew that, you know, as it became clear that we weren't going to be in a two, two week or four week shutdown, that we could not cancel August exams. And the only option that we were going to have would be to offer them remote remotely. And mm-hmm. so um, my deputy director and I got into a mode of, okay, well, let's talk to Kara, uh, you know, Mitchell Moore from CPLED. Let's talk to the law societies in Ontario and BC. Let's talk to some of the other professions that we knew are doing, doing this. Um, uh, I've got connections and, and, and work with people from all sorts of different professions. And so we had all sorts of discussions. And in the space of less than six weeks, we moved completely from a pen, a pen and paper in-person exam to remotely proctored online exams, computer-based exams. Mm. A process that would normally take 18 months, two years, five years. Um, and we did it in about six weeks. Did we do it perfectly? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, but, uh, but we, but we did it. And, and, and the way we did it is talking to, as I mentioned, a variety of people. Um, I shortlisted three companies and went to them for proposals. And we selected a company, uh, two, a pair of companies out of the U S mm. uh, who are also doing work for the law society of Ontario. And one of them with the law society of British Columbia. Uh, and, and I think that our relationship with them has been very positive. Um, and it's been very challenging for them and for us and for our students. And uh, it's, it, we're not blind to the fact that this has been a tremendous, difficult transition for the NCA students, some of whom are welcome being able to type exams mm. um, and some of whom don't. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, we talked earlier about the diversity of the student body. And so we can think about somebody who essentially was born with an iPhone in their hand versus somebody who's had to learn it 
um, at, after they became an adult. Right. And so you can just imagine um, how the one person might react versus the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that, and that goes through our cohort. But we also, not only did we have all of these people making the transition, everyone who was going to write exams in May were pushed forward to August. Mm-hmm. And so not only did the people who, and, 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 and most NCA students are going to go and they're going to get their assessment and they're going to say, okay, well, I need to write five exams. Don't want to do all five at once. So I'm going to do two in May and I'm going to do two in August and I'm going to do one in October and then I'll be done. Well, all of a sudden they were being pushed forward to August. So do they do two in August and then two in October and two and one in January? Is the system even going to work like that anymore? Or do I just do them all in August? So there's all of these changes going on. Uh, We ran a short pilot of two exams in July and learned a lot from that. Um, But there were only about 150 people writing at that point. Mm -hmm. We went into August and we had a record number of registrations for our exam, around 4,500. Now, of course, we didn't end up with that many people writing because uh, we typically get about a 25 to 30% cancellation rate before the exams. Mm -hmm. I would like to say that if someone's not ready for the exam, they're better off canceling than writing because you only get so many failures, right? Mm -hmm. So we had about 30, I didn't need to go and look, but about 3,700 exams written. Um, and we decided that we would keep the schedule that we had published, um, back in the fall of 2019, which meant that there were two exams on each day. And so we had hundreds and hundreds of people trying to write their exams each day Mm -hmm. and it overwhelmed the servers and the database. And so unfortunately, uh, some of the people, and I would say probably a lot of the people who were writing exams had a very difficult, if not horrendous experience. Mm. Now, a good number of people got through the process without any problem. So, and and were able to write their exams without any challenges. But when you've got people sitting in Toronto and then some in Cameroon and then some in Australia and we've got time zone issues and we've got um, everybody's transitioning to a new process. People aren't used to writing um, exams on a computer. It was just very difficult. And I have to tell you, Anton, Mm. we've had a lot of sleepless nights. We had a lot of long days um, and there were uh, four key people at my office, myself included, who were essentially working 18 hour days for weeks on end to get this into place. And the fact that it wasn't a, a roaring success for, from the beginning was, was disappointing. Mm-hmm. We, we pivoted immediately and um, kind of halfway through the session said, okay, we're running every exam over again in September for whoever doesn't either wants to stop writing for this week or who had an experience that was um, was difficult or challenging um, and letting them write in, in September. Um, rewrite or defer to September. And the September exam session went so much better. Mm -hmm. We put, there was only one subject per day and then the large subjects. So the five Canadian mandatory subjects, we gave two days each for them. And it, it was a world of difference. Now we still had a few people saying that they had a freezing situation or they had, you know, their typing was lagging as they were typing, but we had no, we, we had, the servers were fine. The database was fine. There was nothing wrong on the technical side from our end. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really did show us that we need to be advising people about their bandwidth, about their Wi-Fi strength, about, um, you know, that type of thing rather than uh, from, from our side. Mm. We also had decided that for July and August, we would allow people four hours to write a three hour exam instead of the three hours, understanding that it was a transition for everyone. We have decided to stay with the four hours for September and for October, mm. recognizing that there are still challenges and people are still adjusting. Um, I'll make a decision after October is over, whether we continue with the four hours for next year or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we learned from September is that we have to spread out the exams. Right. And so, well, you know, we had published our October exam schedule in um, fall of 2019. We couldn't stick with it. Mm-hmm. We had to change it. We could not have, um, and I, I'd have to go back and look, but let's say contracts and Canadian administrative law on the same day, because that would be probably 800, 800 people writing exams on the same day. We just could not do it. Mm. Um, and so we had to change our schedule and you're probably familiar with the reaction that that received. Um, and, and it was difficult because we had to also look at other things. Our, our, our two vendor companies, what do they have on in November? What do they have on in October? What, when are the law society of Ontario exams, Mm -hmm. um, paralegal barrister solicitor is the law society of British Columbia writing, holding exams as well. You know, what is, what else is going on? Um, what are, where, when are the religious holidays? Um, and so we really had a really tough time in, um, setting that schedule and made some errors when we first issued the schedule and we revised. And so 
I know that people still aren't happy with that schedule, but it's the best that we're going to get mm-hmm. while still ensuring that people that we're not setting every, all of us up for failure by saying, yeah, yeah, we can have 800 people write, the, write an exam on the same day because we know that they can't do it, right. that it would, it would cause so many problems. Well, yeah. And you're just revisiting what happened in August. And obviously you want to avoid that. And I think it makes sense. And I think, I, I hope that people who are listening, who, who took issue with the, the decision um, that you guys had to make. Um, and a lot of the questions um, that I was seeing were, well, why would you move the exams forward? Why not backward into November? And I think you just clearly outlined outlined precisely why <laughs> that's because there are other issues, other logistical uh, matters to consider in particular, you're like you're, you're partnered with companies who are helping to administer these online exams. Do, are they able to do it? You know, there are yeah. just a lot of things at play all at once. It's a tight rope to walk. I can only imagine. Um, yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, and nothing's going to be perfect, but hopefully, you know, I, I mean, I hope that, that, some of the changes that were made to the initial decision, hopefully that helps people. Yeah. And the other thing, Anton, that I would say is that had we pushed into November instead of coming earlier into October, we would have had the people who were saying, I'm rushing to get through this process. I don't want to hold off my exam. I want to get it done with because mm. I want to write, you know, I've got a deadline in January or I want to, um, yeah. you know, my, my plan is to start articling in January. So, you know, we're going to make some people, no matter what we do, some people are going to be happy and some people are going to be angry. Yeah. And so we just have to look at the schedule and say, we're going to try and get, make this, work this out as best we can. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. And I think as you were saying that, uh, I recalled somebody um, coming to me sort of privately and messaging me saying, um, you know, this is this is going to pose a problem for me because I had or scheduled to um, write my bar exams and I hope they don't push the exams into November. So, yeah, like you say, everybody's situation is different. And I guess the NCA is tasked with trying to appease or be convenient for as many people as possible. But there's always going to be some people, I guess, who are who are disrupted. And unfortunately, with COVID and everything, it's really hard. It's hard to plan ahead. It's hard to to etch the dates in ink at this point um, because we really don't know. Um, so that's that's great. I think that that explanation was was useful. I hope for everybody. And just actually a quick one. Um, for my own interest, who grades the exams? Who grades the NCA exams? Um, okay, I'll answer that in a second. I do want to say I know that if people are interested about 2021. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're looking, um, we will be staying online. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether in some time in the future we have in-person exams, I don't know. I don't think that the pandemic is going to end anytime soon. Uh-huh. And because we have people all over the world, uh, we need to be thinking about the pandemic situation all over the world. And the fact that if you live in uh, the Punjab or you live in Cameroon or you live in Perth, Australia, you don't mm. have to travel to Toronto to write your exams. Yeah, You can, you can stay home and do them there. Um, and so we will be looking at 2021. I'm, I've got some ideas. Um, I'm, looking for, I'm looking at more frequent, smaller exam sessions um, mm-hmm. sprinkled throughout the year. I, I just, to me, if someone says, I'm going to do all five Canadian, I'm going to do them all at once. I'm going to do them in one session. They're doing over a year's worth of material in five days. Right. Yeah. And that's not setting people up for success. Um, but if we said, okay, well, you can do two in February and two in January and two in, you know, or one in, in, in March, I think that's going to be better. And that's what I'm going to be looking at um, for, for 2021. And we'll hopefully have that all nailed down um, in, in November. Great. That's, uh, you offered the, the answer to a question that I had actually jotted down. I was wondering, um, what about the feasibility of rolling exam dates? You know, like um, yeah. instead of having uh, them quarterly, um, why not spread them yeah. throughout Ten the months? Ten months a and, year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it sounds yeah. like, I mean, that, that would be great. I think the, the candidates would also welcome that, um, definitely. Yeah. So you asked about um, who marks the exam. So yeah. I, I hire uh, professors at Canadian law schools. And um, I put together teams for uh, the various subjects. They set the syllabi, they set the exams, they set a marking guide or a rubric, um, and then they mark the exams um, and we'll never release their names. Um, but people can rest assured that they are professors at Canadian law schools. In some cases, they are the top person in their field or in the top echelon of their field in most cases. Um, and they work in teams, most of them, I mean, some of the smaller subjects will have one person, uh, but for, you know, Canadian constitutional law, the other Canadian subjects, we're moving from three people, three person teams to four person teams. Um, and, uh, they work for us part-time while they're doing their job 
um, with their law school um, otherwise. And so they uh, are amazing, amazing people who, while m navigating, moving their courses that they're teaching in their law schools online and you know, working with the students at their own law schools in that environment, they're also navigating to change the changes in the NCA um, to marking online. And just to, to remind um, people, we had two subjects offered in July. We had all 16 of our subjects offered in August and September. And now we're offering another, well, it ends up being nine subjects in uh, October. So some people will accept exams for July, August, September, and October. Mm -hmm. um, and and yes, I mean they're 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 contracted with us. We are we are we're paying them for this. But it is a bur it is it is been, it has been a lot of work for them, particularly mm -hmm. when they're also learning how to run their own lives in person and their jobs um, from a, a remote working situation as well. Can only imagine all those all those exams coming in at once. I mean, people are going to be wondering what did I sign up for here, but. <laughs> I mean, they're doing they're doing a great service. Obviously, I mean, it's the one thing that I I never really thought about until um, I began thinking about what what I could ask you. And uh, I mean, people always concern themselves with writing the exam, but always it's always good to know. I think even strategically, when you're writing a law exam, who's grading this? Mm -hmm. You know, like it's always good to know that. So I, I hope uh, I hope that's that benefits people too. So you mentioned uh, well, I guess we we didn't really get into it, but. I wouldn't mind getting into a little bit about the NCA's view on distance learning LLBs. So other, in other words, LLBs are law degrees that have been earned primarily online. Um, I know that the, the NCA won't assess an online law degree. Um, and I was curious to know just, just if you could shed some light on why that is. I mean, what, what policy matter, what policy issues, um, are, are rising there that, that leads you to conclude that now we can't really assess this degree properly and um, whether or not given COVID's happening and, and you know, given the, the movement online for a lot of things, including Canadian students who are, um, and I guess all, all kinds of students all over the world who are now completing their degrees or at least starting them online, they're, they're curious too about what happens to them now that they, will they be assessed um, as if they were in class, uh, you know, let's just, there's a lot of, I guess, issues there. And I'm asking a lot yeah. <laughs> all in one breath there, but if you, you can just start. And if I, if I find something that I need to interject with, I will, okay. but yeah, just on, online learning. So we do assess distance education degrees and, and we have okay. forever. Um, it, it's just that our policies have uh, looked a bit different from time to time. I mentioned earlier okay. that we have the national requirement and that's the standard that Canadian law schools and the NCA have to implement. Um, right. The national requirement states that a law degree is, is three years or equivalent. Um, mm -hmm. So it doesn't need to be offered over three years. It might be, you know, two and a half if it's an intense program. It might be over a longer period if it's part time. But the three years is essentially 90 credits if a, if a credit is um, one hour of teaching per week over a 12 or 13 week semester. Um, mm -hmm. And it, the national requirement continues on to state that two of those three years must be offered in person or in an in a interactive environment. Mm -hmm. So up until the pandemic, the NCA policy was stricter than that, the national requirement. It stated that law degree was three, it had to be three years. And of course, we, we know that we have two-year law degrees and we just assign them extra subjects if they have a two-year law degree because it's not the length that we require. Mm. And that those two years must be in physically in person. Now that was stricter than the national requirement. So right. when we started to move to, when the pandemic happened and schools started to move online, um, we looked, started looking at the NCA policy. We were looking at the national requirement. The NCA policies changed twice since the pandemic started, both in terms of mode of study. So mode of study is in-person, interactive, now defined as in-person, interactive online, or distance. So those are three different categories. And you have to differentiate the pure traditional distance, which is here's your books and your syllabus, come back in six months and write an exam. And the online interactive that has you know, that there was, it existed to a certain extent over the last few years, but has grown, I mean, it's just exploded in the last right. five or six months. Mm -hmm. so the, in, the interactive online means you are, you might be in a, you might be watching a taped lecture, but then you would have a live Zoom um, study group or, or tutorial um, seminars. Uh, and so where our policy is now is um, 
you have to have a, still a three-year degree or if it's a two-year degree, extra subjects, and that you have to have two years in-person or interactive online mm -hmm. that meet a set of specific NCA criteria. And those criteria um, state that 50% must be physically in-person. Mm -hmm. The other 50% can be interactive online or traditional online or traditional distance. Um, and then there's some some criteria, things like um, there has to be some formative and summative assessments. There have to be online legal resources. So so research material, textbooks, et cetera. So there's an, a series of criteria and two thirds of those criteria must be met. So what it means is, um, you know, and, and let's look at it for the Canadian schools would be uh, they are free to offer one year pure distance ed. So essentially, here's your books, here's your syllabus, come back in six months and write the exam. Mm -hmm. And then um, uh, one semester interactive online. Now, most of the Canadian schools are going to go to or will likely have somewhere in the order of a year to a year and a half of interactive online. So they, they fall in that, that category. The, the schools outside of Canada um, fall, have the exact same requirements. So if you're doing a two-year degree in England, which I think a lot of your listeners would fall into that category. Mm -hmm. uh, they are already at the two year instead of the three year. That means that all of their study now needs to be either in person or um, interactive online. Now there's the 50% component of their studies. So one year must be in person, physically mm -hmm. in person. One year can be interactive online. So that means that if, and, and we're ignoring completely anything that happened up until April, May, uh, 2020, Mm -hmm. because it happened during the semester. So you you reset and you say, okay, you started your studies in September 2020. Now I'm assuming Northern Hemisphere, it's different in the South. Mm -hmm. um, you started your studies in, in September 2020, and you then need to, if you're a two-year program, you can do all of 2021 in interactive online, provided that interactive online meets two-thirds of our criteria that we've laid out in our assessment policy. If you have a three-year program, you have to have two years in person or interactive online, 50% in person. So that means one and a half year in person, mm -hmm. half a year interactive online and half a year. And, and then one year can be true to traditional distance ed. Most schools aren't going to do that. They're no. probably going to be, end up being um, a full year interactive and then maybe blended learning for the first part of 2020, uh, September, 2021. Right. So we'll see where it goes. Um, yeah. and, and, but we have, we have no, so people can go and look at our policy um, and see what it is now. We have no ability to make further changes and still remain compliant with the national requirement. I see. So that leads to a different question around, will we change the national requirement? And that's a question for the Federation um, that we are looking at from the Federation side. It's not an NCA um, responsibility. It's a larger uh, responsibility of the Federation and the law societies. Right, right. Good to know. That's, I mean, yeah, I was going to kind of follow up to say, so that's been done sort of in response by necessity because of COVID, um, the changes to the policy in terms of, you know, in-person and online interactive learning, whether there was any scope for that to continue long-term. But I guess, as you say, um, that's a question for the Federation, right? Like to see how or 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 is it or do you think that it could continue long term this kind of um, change to the policy or when things are back to normal, um, quote unquote, will you go back to the original policy that you guys had for in person learning? The policy that we have now was not passed as a temporary measure. Okay. The policy that is written and that is on our website that reflects two years of of in person slash online online interactive with 50% in class, um, physically in class, and then um, you know some sort of a number, depending on how the length of the program, at an interactive online. There's no intention that that's going to change. Okay, that's good. <laughs> good to know for people who are um, beginning their law degree or thinking about undertaking a law degree uh, in COVID times, they might, they might think twice. So that's, that's good for them to know. I'm curious, from your end, um, you mean you've been at this for a decade. Um, what are some of the most common questions that you guys receive in your office from from candidates? I, th I think a lot is is, is what's the process? Um, right. How do how do I do it? I mean, there's all sorts of mechanical kind of logistical questions around that. What kind of documents do I have to give you? And there's a lot of the the why. And I think that uh, those why questions, why am I doing this? Why do I have to do that? Those have decreased a lot over the last ten years um, since I've taken over because we've tried to 
respond to those questions on our website mm. um, by saying, here's why you have to do this. And it's, it's all connected to preparing people for practice, successful practice in Canada. Mm. Um, so, you know, I like when I'm talking to, to, to groups of um, people who are either in the process or, or coming into the process, I like to say, you know, don't look at the NCA exams as a punishment. <laughs> look right. at them as what you need to know to, to practice law in Canada. You know, if you're coming from, um, uh, I don't know, name a country, and the constitution is set up for that country, you know, based on their unique history and development and the priorities in that, and the culture in that country. And mm-hmm. then you look at our constitution and our constitution set up based on our unique culture and, and, and history and, you know, the evolution of, of Canada um, versus maybe a more um, abrupt transitions that they've seen in the U.S., um, you know, our, our today, our focus on reconciliation with Indigenous peoples, all the different things that we face. And, and think about what you need to know and how you need and what you need to understand um, in order to, to, to successfully practice in Canada. I mean, one, get through bar admissions, but that mm-hmm. shouldn't be your long term goal. That should just be, you know, a, ro- a step on the road to your long term go- goal, which is practicing law in Canada. And it's been interesting to, to listen to people saying, but I know criminal law in the U.S., I shouldn't have to write your exam. And it's like, OK, well, <laughs> by asking the question in the way you asked it, you've just demonstrated why you need to take our exam. Right. Um, you know, so so those are the types of questions we get. We also, um, you know, get questions around uh, why did you assess this other person this way and me in this way? Um, we don't do comparative assessments. Um, mm. We'll never talk about someone else's file with you. Um, but we talk about how we assessed your file against the policies. So those are the types of questions that we get. Um right. Yeah, and, and you know, obviously, there's questions about how long it takes to get through the process, and um, and we're always listening to those. The questions guide us in the priorities of our students mm. and what we need to look at to change in the future, or just even how we should better communicate right. what is required. Right. Well, that's good. That's good insight there. And I just had one quick logistical or clerical uh, question to ask. So given the issues or the turbulent time around the August exam and then the push to September, is there a date that you guys have set for when candidates can receive their grades for those exams that they completed in that, in that uh, space? Well, what we say on our website publicly is that you'll get your grades 10 to 12 weeks after the last exam was written. Yeah. Um, we're, I'm hoping when we get into a long-term stable environment, we'll be able to beat that those that date significantly. But right. we do have to give the examiners four weeks to properly do their work. Uh-huh. Um, it's just that now we can cut out the mailing time. However, we've had, because we were finishing August and setting an entire new schedule in September, as well as preparing for October, the workload has been tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're striving to meet that 10 to 12 weeks after the, the date of the last exam in August. Okay, that makes sense. Again, Deborah, thank you for your time. I'd like to close with just, just a few questions. Um, I really appreciate the, the information you've given. I know that it'll benefit a lot of the listeners to get a little bit more clarity on, on some areas that they were unsure of. And you know, a little bit more substance behind what their thought or what their opinion is of the NCA or what they think the NCA is. So I hope everybody's learned quite a bit. I know I have. Um, and I'm curious, um, what inspires you to continue to be at the head of the NCA as the executive director? Interesting question. I think if you were to look at my career path, there's a couple of things that you would notice. One is service. Mm-hmm. Um, so Canadian Armed Forces, um, essentially you're serving the country, um, and then moving into the regulation of the profession is around the safety of the public. Now, when you define that as an engineer versus a lawyer, it's a little bit different, but the concept is the same, right? Right, right. It is ensuring that the people who are practicing law in this country have the correct background, knowledge, competency in order to safely uh, practice to the and serve the public. Mm-hmm. And so that's what that's what drives me. And, and obviously, there's challenges about, okay, you look at a system that has maybe some areas that are weaker and some areas that are stronger. And how can you do how can you design the processes so that um, it's improving at all times, and then we can step back and we can look again, and we can say what other areas can we improve. So mm-hmm. those are the types of things that, that keep me interested. Um, and then just now in this pandemic world is how can we bring the NCA through this very challenging time while we have people who are living a very difficult, challenging, um, 
part time mm-hmm. and, and bring it to the end where we're where we're doing something that is that we're better as we as we ended. I know hashtag pandem- pandemic perk, right? right. Um, you know, how do we end up that we're doing it better at the end? Mm-hmm. And so that it is more responsive, people understand it better, um, they have a better knowledge about what's going on, they can access things, um, the, the process, they can access the exams more easily and, and from a greater geographic diversity, um, maybe more on their schedule than on our schedule so that we can move all of these things forward in a way that, um, that, makes, that satisfies more people. I know that I'm not gonna make people happy because <laughs> we're a high stakes environment. We're yeah. asking you to write exams, um, but I want people to say, hey, you know what? I learned something and it wasn't as painful as I thought it was gonna be. Right. And uh, finally, Deborah, um, you mentioned earlier that you know, in your tenure, you've seen something of a 400% increase in applications for assessment year on year um, from 2010 to, to 2019. So I wonder, you know, I guess as, as you are trained as an engineer, how do, you, how do you look at that? Do you look at that just as a fact? Or does that, like, does it excite you and your team to know that you know, you're, you're helping people or like, I just wonder how you view those numbers. Um, What's exciting about that for you, if anything? So I know that there are people who say there are too many lawyers or too many people coming through or too many people going overseas or too many people coming into the country. Mm. Um, I ignore all of that um, and and take it from the perspective of um, the regulatory world, which is if someone comes to you, they've got the appropriate qualifications and background, they, um, they meet the challenge uh, that's put before them in terms of whatever exams or other processes you make them go through, you mm-hmm. give them a certificate. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so for me, the numbers, and we're not building widgets and, and you know, wanting to make more <laughs> widgets and sell them for a cheaper price. You know, that's not what we're right. all about. Yeah. We're about saying um, we're here to help you qualify to put you to make sure that you meet the standard, that the standard that's been set by the law societies to enter their processes. So the numbers to me are um, probably the least interesting part of all of this, mm-hmm. except that, of course, it creates an HR and an operational challenge that we have to meet ensure, to ensure that we can process the numbers that we have. Mm. But that's, that's not, that's not it, to me, that's just a fact. It's, it's, it's something that you react to. What I, what I get excited about is making sure that people can get through the process as quickly as they, as they choose to get through, mm-hmm. um, that they learn what they need to learn, um, that they have knowledge about Canada and the Canadian laws and the Canadian um, processes, and that they can take that knowledge through to bar admissions and practice and know that they, um, that they can feel that whether wherever they got their degree, that they had the background that they need to go forward into um, a Canadian practice. What a great way to end it, Deborah. I really, again, thank you so much for your time. I know how busy you are. Um, when I sent the invitation, I, I didn't, you know, to be honest, given how busy your office is, I didn't really anticipate you being able to sit down for an hour, but I, I really appreciate it. I know I hope that the listeners do too. Well, you know, it's, uh, this is the type of thing where um, we need to be seen as providing more information and being more approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, we have our, our email addresses, nca at flsc.ca and exam at flsc.ca. Mm-hmm. And so those are, the, you know, that's where people need to, need, can contact us. The workload is such that sometimes people aren't answered for a few days. Um, but, you know, so, so this type of platform where I can talk to people, they can listen to it at their leisure. Mm-hmm. Um, they can come back and they can say, okay, well, I understood she said this. Um, you know, is it different now? What, where, you know, where can I go for more information? Uh, our website is nca.legal. You know, that's the type of um, place that they should be going. But, but to provide this information and so that they aren't getting the information from their friends that may be accurate or inaccurate, may be old, may be up to date. Um, mm-hmm. I think that this is really important. And I'm, I'm really pleased that you invited me, Anton, to, to come and, and, and talk with you about this. Amazing. Thank you so much, Deborah. You're welcome. And that does it for episode 11 of A Shot of Life. Uh, I have to say again how lucky I feel that uh, Deborah agreed to be on this podcast. And I really hope that it was able to shed some light on the NCA and answer some of your questions. I know that I had polled the audiences, so to speak, in Facebook, and uh, I received a lot of questions. You guys had really good questions. And I'm hoping that I managed through the conversation to get most of those questions answered. 
Deborah told me um, offline that we can do this again. Um, if there's an appetite for it, we can make this a quarterly or biannual thing whereby we can get our questions answered in some ways and, and also get some updates from the NCA itself. So again, um, I'm really hoping that everybody managed to glean something from this. I think um, the NCAs recognize that there have been issues with COVID having happened and in the movement online. And I think they're doing all that they can, it sounds like, to rectify those issues and to also think outside the box in terms of how and when they offer exams and how they think about timelines. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to be able to continue to speak with Deborah moving forward and um, also really excited to be able to launch a couple more podcasts with some really, really amazing internationally trained lawyers here in Canada. So until next time, we'll talk again. Mm-hmm.